Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio. I am your host, Mandy Beverly. This is a podcast for women by women. As we know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but sometimes we know there can be a few stormy seas. So when the tough times happen, the proverbial hits the fan, what do you do? Who do you have to become in the process? That's the real story, and that's remarkable. We love to tell the story of women that are a few steps further ahead on their own entrepreneurial journey. They know exactly what it feels like to be where you are. So these women are not only paving the way for themselves, but they're also paving the way for the women that follow in their footsteps. This is Remarkable Woman Radio. Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio. I'm Mandy Beverly, and I'm here with my very special guest, Diana Thompson from Speechmarks. Now, Diana, welcome along, and I'm so thrilled to have you and just a little in awe of your skill set right now. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So not only is Diana an international speaker, keynote speaker, speaking coach, she's also got a book called Anyone Can Speak Confidently, and she's also a co-host of She Says So. And so I'm really um, interested to talk about why you are wanting to do it. And I can see from your sign there, you want to empower women to change their lives. And I presume it's to help them actually let their voice come out and be heard. Is that correct? That's the essence of it. Um, I got inspired by another woman. And um, as I started my journey from going from being a, a person that enjoyed developing her public speaking skills into one that became a public speaking coach, I started to really focus on how other people, men and women, when they got this ability and confidence to stand up in front of a group of peers or people they don't know uh, and deliver a speech or a presentation, just that feeling of, wow, if I can do this, I can do so many more things. And I've watched people go from not being able to say anything to presenting confidently. Um, and and it's something I, I honestly believe. If you can speak, you can speak it to a group, you can Public, you can speak publicly, and therefore you can um, you can change the course of your your life, your business, maybe your community and your country. You know, <laughs> but no pressure. But no pressure. <laughs> yeah, let's start small. Um, why do you think people are so so fearful of speaking up, especially uh, about things that they love to do as well? Kath and I, Kath Vincent is my co-host with She Says So. We have, although it was originally sort of my idea, she has come on board as a full partner. And we we believe that there's a lot, particularly in New Zealand, where we have kind of just picked up this concept that we don't like it. We we vast majority of us, maybe, you know, people like my son excluding, we all wanted to talk when we were babies. You know, we wanted to communicate and gabble and talk. And and, and a lot of children, you still see them, a lot of children don't have a fear, but it gets ingrained in them, either through bad experiences, and um, I'm pointing at the schools for the cause of a lot of those, or just because people have found out that other people don't like it. Well, if it makes other people nervous, they kind of adopt 
that social norm that they they don't like it either and that there should be something to be fearful of. Now, Dale Carnegie, as far as I can trace back, said that it was declared to the world that public speaking was their number one fear, which it's not. I mean, every survey recently has said, no, it is not their number one fear, but they still have it in the back of their mind because Toastmasters clubs have told them or public speaking coaches have told them, look, honestly, I would be overrun with clients and busy as can be and very, very much richer than a lot than I am if it was people's number one fear. I'd also have a lot more competition. So <laughs> it's, it's not your number one fear. It really isn't. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and also I guess what you do though, is you help them to break it down because at the end of the day, they're talking about what's important to them. And I presume that judgment, what other people think comes into it even more so than fear of public speaking. It's actually probably the biggest fear is what will people think? of me yes. if I actually talk about this and that and then once they get over it it's just like it's it's but it's tricky I mean it's really tricky it's really tricky it is the fear of judgment um but the problem is that most of the fear comes back to what we call and um Kath and I also have a one-day course and we we cover these what so what are you thinking before you go up and speak and people say oh I might lose my place um I might not get a laugh. I might get laughed at uh, at the wrong place. I might, I might, I might, I might. And we call, end up calling them the mighty mites because all these things that haven't happened are the things that make them nervous. And so it's this, and this is really your area as well, this mindset, this thing that we're holding on to is actually the thing that's holding us back. And when you actually realize that, you know, you go, you stand up and speak and deliver a presentation that you've practiced usually, that you put enough practice and um, all of those mics just disappear. Yes, you didn't say, tell us exactly what you had prepared, but sometimes it's better. And half the time we don't even know that you wrote this amazing line that you forgot to tell us. So <laughs> all the, you know, we don't know. So we're none the wiser as the audience. So all these mighty mites get in the way, and uh, but a lot of them is we assume people are going to judge us or think mm. ill of us. Mm. So we then, it's all about what power we've given to our audience. That's actually a nice way to do it. I can remember one time um, giving a speech years ago, and someone said, if I got up, from my seat, stood up on the, you know, wherever the, on the stage or whatever. And if I just imagine that my ego was sitting back in my seat, then I would actually find that I could be feeling more comfortable. And it was quite a, even just the process of saying, okay, anything that's going to judge me sitting up here, you can go back and sit in my seat. And it actually gave me something else to think about rather than the mighty mites that you were just talking about, rather than what if I do this, what if I do that? It actually gave me an action of, of, of you know, some sort of visualisation. So I thought that, you know, that was quite useful for me because I'm quite visual. And so, um, but yeah, I love that, the mighty mites, because we do, we, we, we catastrophize, don't we? <laughs> well, and, and we're still, we don't even give us our audience the privilege and the benefit of, of finding, of actually saying they, they'll enjoy it and they'll, they'll, find it worth their while we've had women and she says so that have just delivered this little quarter of this your first speech called something I love it's a really easy topic right we all love something 
they've got up and delivered the speech. One was on how she'd given up coffee for Lent. One was on meditation. They were so memorable and so powerful and they stuck with us and they just sit there going, really? It's like, yes, because you don't realize the impact and the power of your story and what you have to say is because you've never had a chance to deliver it. Yeah, or they're judging it in their heads before it's even come out. And we're so, we think what we've done is so normal until, but it's the person receiving it, isn't it? That's what you're trying to say is, is, is it's the person receiving it is what to focus on. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. On your website, um, you sort of said public speaking, you view public speaking as a staircase with many landings. And I really, really like that because I guess it helps, you know, you're trying to help people go at, I guess, their own pace, is it? Or is this, how do you take people on the journey to get to the point that they are great at public speaking? So I invented my staircase because there seemed to be this idea that, you only use public speaking skills when you're standing up, preferably on a stage with an audience listening to you. But in fact, that's not true. The, the, the pillars of public speaking, most of them you use, we're using them right now. We're using some body language and facial expressions and vocal variety. So you're using these and you, do you, if you just downgrade public speaking to a big audience on a stage – you're actually doing it so and so many times that, in fact, you're on a journey. Now, you may know, not want to deliver on a stage in a huge conference or at a TED Talk. You may never want to do that. That may not be your gig. But you can certainly get to the point where you can stand up and deliver a presentation to the meeting room, to the uh, leadership team of your business, um, to a group of other fellow industry leaders, whatever that journey is, but you just if you just build up and slowly walk up the staircase and go, oh, look, I've managed to, to tick all those off. Now I might need a little bit of help to get up to the next landing and I'll spend six months here, but in a year's time, I hope to be able to present to the national conference. You just see it as part of a journey. It, it, it kind of breaks it down. It's that elephant. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, you break down the journey um, and slowly build up those skills, acknowledging that you can use those and develop those skills every day. Nice. That's really cool. And you're talking about um, the pillars and just to realise no one actually goes out there and can just, you know, just do it. Um, you know, I think there's, well, some can. I know. I mean, I've listened to Tony Robbins and also John D. Martini, but they've done it over years and yes. years and yes. years. Tony and Robbins, years. you go back and find him 30 years ago and he, he wasn't what he is today. John D. Martini, you know, he, there's a man that's worked at his skills and developed and things like that. The people that suddenly flip into being great public speakers are usually performers in some other way. So they may be a musical instrument, more likely they've done acting and stagecraft. So there's obviously very similar skill sets and they find that transition quite easy. Nice. So that just busts the myth, right, of that, you know, that it's going to be easy necessarily. Um, but what about, what's the myth that you want to bust about the industry? What would be something that you'd like? Because people go, 
oh yeah, I can just rock on up and and I'll just mm. muddle through or the the biggest I think there's a couple of myths if you like that that uh, again Kath and I really focus on one is that um, you have to spend a lot of time crafting your words whereas in fact I have a little saying write less rehearse more spend more time on delivering your bullet the bullet points you've written down and less time on making sure you get the perfect words because you're not going to deliver them when it comes to the real thing. So the myth of, you know, make sure that it's this many, you write it out and all of that kind of stuff, I, I, I'm pretty much, it gives you a lot more freedom and a lot more time to rehearse, which is the important thing. Um, and, and that myth that it's the number one fear, that would probably be the biggest one. It's not the number one. I'm probably the only public speaking coach that, bangs on about how public speaking is not your number one fear. It's not anybody's number one fear. No one would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's a really good point. I've never heard it put like that. It's brilliant. So you were talking about you and Kath and um, she says so. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Diana? Because it sounds like a really, really great course. Yeah. So when I was um, niching my niche from being a public speaking coach to everybody to being the woman's public speaking coach, self-entitled, by the way. Um, Love it. <laughs> uh, another another woman in my Venus networking group said to me, oh, do you mean like this? And she found this amazing woman's speaking group in, in the North of the USA and um, so I inquired about it and, and we started I started with getting a, a like a franchise if you like from her um, but after a year Kath proved right that we didn't really need to buy the wheel we could just invent our own version of it and in fact it was a we really New Zealandized uh, um, their kind of model, but and, and pulled on a lot of my experiences through the Toastmasters International System, and so we've really created what is a really very much based on it's in person. Um, there's a limited number of people in the group. All you do as a person that joins the course is that you go at sort of at your own pace, but Diana will give you a push and a prod because you can sit <laughs> there for six months and not speak. Um, and that's all you do. You come in, you deliver speeches, you part partake in, in the meeting. So, you, you know, you're not asked to go and be club secretary or do administration or all the other things that other systems ask you to. But the key thing is that it's about the fellowship within the woman and sharing their stories in a place where they're free to make mistakes. Perfection isn't the aim. Um, and, and that they can tell their stories in a safe environment where if they don't want people to repeat them, we will nobody will ever repeat them. Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. And it just gives them a the supportive group in order to to step out. But God, we need more women's voices out there. Yes. And we just we so do it and we do. And so we mm. give them really easy topics. So we don't say this is what you're concentrating on. You have to deliver a speech with, you know, huge amounts of body language. We we have it from a holistic approach. Every time you speak, you're going to have vocal variety, you're going to have structure, you're going to have this and this and this. Here's a topic to help you develop it. So it could be mm. something you love. It could be what I'm doing for the next 12 months, something I'm committed to. But 
it, then we narrow it down and say, give them topics within that theme. And um, yeah, because we don't want them to spend time trying to decide what to talk about. We want them spending their time jotting down a few notes and practicing. Yeah, that's really cool. And I like the way that you sort of said about having bullet points that actually allows you to have a little bit more space just to be in the moment and see what comes out rather than actually trying to remember everything that you've got to say because straight away you're not present. Um, so I'd love that you're sort of training people to be present and they're talking about what they love and what's important to them as well. So I can imagine, yeah, imagine you hear some really amazing stories actually. We do. We do mm. get honoured to listen to some incredible stories about the women's lives or or things that they've experienced or been part of. It's incredible. You get to sort of journey around the world as well. <laughs> That's really as a cool. bonus. <laughs> yeah. So... So how did you get started becoming the woman's go-to public speaking coach? Okay, so well, I I uh, had my second baby over in Singapore and I had two under two and I was going a little bit, I've shared this with you, a little bit stir-crazy as an expat wife. Uh, there wasn't, <laughs> uh, it sounds, I, I still laugh because I still feel like a bit of a spoiled brat when I say that, but that was part of the problem. But I did get to go along to one event on International Women's Day, and the guest speaker was the trade commissioner's wife, who wasn't allowed to work. She's diplomatic passport. And it was the first time I found out that, that Barbara Kosiowski was a public speaking coach. And she started her presentation saying how she watched these other women and thought, oh, I want to be just like them. And I had this instant gut reaction, Barbara, I want to be just like you. Mm. And that started me on my journey after private coaching with her and delivering to the Singapore Chamber of Commerce, um, New Zealand Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. And, and then I to joined a great Toastmasters club. Uh, but then, of course, we moved as ex expats do we moved back to New Zealand and I had to start all over again and get kids into school and all of that and then in 2016 I went right I'm going to start a business I want to be paid to be a, a, this amazing speech evaluator that I've become um, I don't want to just continue doing it free of charge with Toastmasters and other things and I set that up and then the next thing I did was join the Venus Networking Group and met all these amazing women that were all, you know, far more experienced at business and knew what they were doing and then they'd deliver, some of them, not all of them, would deliver a one-minute promo and, <laughs> and, and kind of go and waste this minute that, that the system had given them to tell people about their business. <laughs> I was like, hmm, something doesn't add up here. Um so that was part of the journey of how I got there, but it really started with one other woman inspiring me. Um, and now I have been told I've inspired other women. So the, the circle's complete. Oh, I love that. And it continues to expand because obviously yeah. you've written a book called Anyone Can Speak Confidently, which is amazing. And Thank you. Um, yeah, so obviously that's the message as well as the title, is it? It is. It started off on a slightly different track. Its original um, version was called The Naked Speaker, um, which my publishing coach and I thought was quite good. And we had this all this theme around that and didn't brings, really resonate. And in it fact, brings to mind quite a few things, actually. 
maybe we were just sort of got caught up in our own silliness. I don't know. But then, then actually one of the women in my group said to me, she'd read it cover to cover sort of thing, which, you know, not many people do these kinds of books. Um, and she said, but why don't you just call it what it is? Like anyone can speak. I thought, I don't know. I just assumed that sort of title had been taken. But it is exactly what it's about. It's about the fact that if you can actually speak, you can speak. Pub- you can do public speaking. Anybody can. I've seen the most nervous people get to the point where they're like, oh, my God, I could do this all along. I can do this. So I have a true belief that anyone can. I'm, I'm not quite at the point where I'd call it a money-back guarantee. but yeah why not I mean if you believe it and um so that's cool so okay we all need a copy of that anyone can speak confidently so um we'll make sure we put a link into that into um little blurb we send out yeah for sure um so obviously having women to inspire us is so important but who or what inspires you when the time gets goes you know that we the, t- the proverbial hits the fan is what I usually sort of say because I often go, well, Remarkable Woman Radio, like there's, everyone is remarkable in their own way, but we're even more remarkable when the proverbial hits the fan because we are, we have to dig a bit deeper and I think we find out more about ourselves. So, you know, when the proverbials hit your fan, what do you do and how do you cope? And is there some strategy that maybe um, someone else can learn from? Well, I've, I noted down this because this is the question that makes me nervous because I would like to think if the proverbial hit the fan in, in the real life, uh, say, you know, currently we're renovating. So anything can go <laughs> wrong, right? Anything. <laughs> I like to think that I don't panic. I use some breathing strategies and then I go into fix it mode. I like to think that my husband might have a different version of it in virtual world. I might, uh, do the whole email to get the vent out and then I sleep on it and then I come back to it. Uh, often I'll do the gather the information, take a step back, try and suspend some judgment, uh, Again, I'd like to think I was that cool, calm, and collect. Um, (laughs) I'm not guaranteeing that that is correct um, because I'm an emotional person, but I'm also quite a logical person, so I I get torn. Well, we've had answers that... I just have a glass of wine and turn on Netflix and think I'll get to it tomorrow. So, I mean, everyone's got different ways of of just approaching it because, and that's a really good thing. And I love what you actually just said is vent it, but don't send it till you've slept on it. That is so important because how many times have we gone and then you send it and then you just go, what have I just done? So I think giving yourself a bit of space and time just to, okay, let's just calm down about it. Let's just do this. And yeah, and good luck renovating as well. (laughs) It's always fun. (laughs) You've got to stay focused on the big picture, right? (laughs) Indeed you do. Mm -hmm. So, for um, what was one thing that you wish you had known when you began your journey into business with speech marks and she says so and writing your book and all the things that you've done since you've started? 
You know, I almost wish that I had made more of an effort to be someone else's employee and be employed as a public speaking coach or or done something else to sort of test the waters and sort of get my training wheels <laughs> somewhere else. I think I kind of thought no, I need to be my own, start my own business. I need to do it this way. This seems to be the only way to do it. And I wish I'd really spent more time trying to see if I could. It's not that I want to make mistakes. I would have just been very, it would have meant that I was in a better position when I did start my own business. I mean, I started from nothing. I hadn't even, you know, it wasn't like I left a job and and then, them change tack. I'd not been working in New Zealand for um, six or seven years. So part of me wishes that I'd had that sort of in-between time to make sure that this is what I wanted to do. Um, that's that's That and I wish, and I truly mean this, I wish I'd followed the advice of um, – at the time, she was my my business coach, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. I wish I'd followed her advice and locked down my personal Facebook profile and kept that as my just, you know, kids of, photos of the cats and the kids mm-hmm. and just had the business profile and kept a really strict boundary between my personal life and my work. So that's probably the one bit of advice I regret not following. Okay, interesting. So how did you how did you is it all meshed together now or it's all a hot mess of what started off as just a way to post photos of the kids and the travel and yeah. it's got I've got all these people on it that I don't actually know in real life. Uh, and as we've found out recently in New Zealand you know, we some of us have got very different views on how things should be run at the moment and all of that. And it's really damaged my mental health a bit. So I have recently in the last few months locked it down and realized that I don't have to accept all the friend requests and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and tried to push people towards my business profile rather than my personal one. I think that's actually really, really good advice. You know, I mean, even I've been trying to, I've got two Instagram pages and I'm like, do I just consolidate it? And I get advice that, yes, you should consolidate it. And then I go, oh, I just don't know. And so there's so many, there's so much, um, there's so many decisions to make that you don't realise the effects of them until until much later on. But I, I love the fact that you're just going through now and actually correcting it and, and just going, well, how do I want to run my business? And I think this is the way I want to do it, you know? Yeah. And there is an element now as my children get older of them actually saying, I don't want all these random people seeing photos of me, mum, actually. Mm. And and I've started to take a step back. But again, you know, in the past five years, Facebook and its its fellows have become a different beast than they used to be. So I'm not beating myself up about it. I did get that advice. I didn't follow it. So I'm taking ownership of it and trying to repair. And now you're following it. And now you're following that advice. It's great. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's so much to do. There is oh. so much to do. Well, that's the thing. That is the thing I didn't realise in biz- setting up my own business about all the roles and hats I would have to wear. Um, so, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss and <laughs> a lot of businesses wouldn't have happened if people knew what they found out along the way. Absolutely. There's probably a few children that wouldn't have been made if we really knew what it's a focus ignorance. I was totally bliss about that. What we didn't know, we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, definitely. So you're also an MC and a keynote speaker. So what is have you got a, um, a real memorable keynote speaking gig that you've done that – Either it was the best thing you've done or the worst thing you've done, or do you have do you have those, or do you just actually prepare the way you prepare, take your own advice with coaching, and just stand up and deliver, or have you got a few disasters in, in amongst it, like we all imagine we would have as well? Um, so MC wise, um, I I don't do a lot of that. Um, because there hasn't been any conferences on, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, and the last one I did was a two-day thing, and a, um, even though I was really prepared in many ways, I don't think I was prepared in to the level that was required. So, again, I'm a bit sort of gun-shy. Um, keynote Or speaking. just judging yourself quite harshly too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we learn. We learn from all these things. So I try and coach myself through it. Um, the keynote ones, uh, learned how different it is when you're a guest lecturer at, all, uh, at certain universities, shouldn't name names, um, and, and reminding myself that actually I fell asleep during some of the lectures and I talked during some of the lectures. That, that's been an interesting um, situation. Love delivering to people and particularly young women that want to hear the messages I've got for them um, and uh, challenging myself to deliver to more diverse groups is a good one. I did deliver um, one of my presentations to Remuera Rotary Club. Uh, Remuera Rotary Club is my father's and my uncle's Rotary Club. Um, <laughs> cute, yeah. So my biggest achievement with that group was that I managed to keep my father awake because usually he falls asleep. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, your test case. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, you, I, I prefer to always look at the things that went right and then try and figure out how I misjudged them. I delivered to um, – they had 580 women online, but it also then gets streamed out. So I don't know how many people watched it, but the online live audience in Bangladesh. Um, and I I think I misjudged that audience and what they, and I look back and think, you know, I, I said to them, just put your email address in here and you'll get all this free information and all these downloads and not like I had one person out of 580 sign up for it. In New Zealand, uh, you know, definitely would have got a hundred or two hundred. I'm not saying everyone should have to. Um, so that was a real le- that, that's that's a real learning curve for me as to not understanding my audience. Even though it was free, they didn't sign up for it. I don't know why they all had email addresses because otherwise, I think they wouldn't have got on to it. So yeah, I don't know, it's an interesting one. 
Interesting. Or maybe, yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, but obviously you're going out into an international space. And how do you find New Zealand is perceived when you go out into that space? New Zealanders are perceived very favourably. So we're very lucky for a number of reasons. One is that we tend to have an accent that people can understand all around the world. So um, even though we don't like it that much, (laughs) it sounds quite simple, doesn't it, when you hear it it, when you're overseas? It does. Look, my accent's been described from everything from quaint to posh to sexy to, you know, everything. So it just is what it is. Um, So they understand us from that perspective. We've got a, you know, good, they have a very positive perception of us as well, as far as kind, nice people, hardworking people. Um, But they, I think also that they need, they think that we're all outgoing and confident and all of that sort of thing. So sometimes I have to break the ice a little bit and say, look, you know, this is where I started off. I started off as the person that didn't feel that she had a voice, couldn't, didn't feel like anybody was listening to her, wasn't confident enough to apply for jobs in Singapore. Um, started my public speaking journey, built up the courage to apply for a job, got given the job as the workshop presenter, not the actual job I applied for, uh, and then went from there. So I, I'm, the, I'm sort of, I can. I can say quite honestly, this has has helped me helped me a lot, and I know from helping, mentoring, coaching other people, it's considerably helped them in their work and personal life or their community work that they do. So it's so a, they it's can a lovely, then spread out. Yeah, they can. I, I yeah, and that. I see yeah. it as as like a ripples. I've got a great little, you know, one of those sort of mean things that says if you help a woman to speak up today. The, the effect, there's a ripple effect of positivity. Yeah, I firmly believe that, actually. I think it's really cool. And you mentioned something about, you know, often we don't feel that our voice is being heard, and particularly those with, you know, when you've got little kids and, you know, and it's, uh, you know, you're not necessarily like you love what you're doing, but it's not necessarily you're in the daily grind of it, not necessarily the most inspiring moments. Um, there'll be highlights, of course. And just actually being heard, being a grown-up sometimes is actually really important and to be heard. So thank you for sharing that. That was really cool. Um, If you could go back and talk to your younger self, Diana, for a moment, and maybe back even to that person that did feel that she couldn't have her voice heard, you know, wasn't being heard. Um, And, of course, it's all in our perception. But what advice would you give her? Well, the first piece of advice is the one that I was actually given when I was about 20, 21 uh, by the current boyfriend at the time. Um, and he said to me in his wise 24-year-old self way, <laughs> you'll laugh at this, he was an Air Force pilot, so you, you get where I'm going. <laughs> he said, not everybody has to like you. Mm. <gasps> I'm sorry, what? Not everybody has to like me. Wow, revelation! But I, of course, ignored it. But <laughs> yes, I do. They do. <laughs> um, so I would, I would tell me that instead of having him tell me that. Um, 
as far as the not feeling heard, not having the voice, um, sometimes it's that sometimes that is the record that you get play in your own head. And when you play that record enough, you start to believe it. And sometimes you have to stop the record and then look for the place where you can be heard. And I just happened to choose the Toastmasters Club of Singapore. It was down the road. There was dinner involved. Got me out of the house every Monday. It all was a win-win, right? <laughs> and it was. They they heard me. And, and from there, I built my confidence up. So, you know, it's about me going out there and trying to help myself. Um, and again, like most women, I didn't think it was a big deal at the time necessarily, or I've never thought of it as being anything other than just what I did. But in some ways it, it is a little bit teeny. I'll give it a tiny little bit of my remarkableness. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> There's that question coming up later. <laughs> okay. So one of my favorite questions at the moment is to ask everyone is if you could have dinner with three people alive or dead, who would it be and why do you choose them? And it's interesting because I'm getting such an array of answers. I love it. So who would you choose to have dinner with? Well, I'm going to do them in backwards order because the the person I'm going to talk about last is the most important to me. So the number three, I, I needed one woman. And so um, I'm choosing Oprah Winfrey. Can I come I to think, <laughs> Yeah, right. Yes. I don't think that needs much explaining, um, mainly because I think she would help me. Because I did have now Nelson Mandela and I thought, gosh, I can't, can't have him to dinner by myself. Oprah's got to come along. So maybe they come as a peer. I don't know. <laughs> but definitely my number two was Billy Connolly. I just think he's fascinating and funny and insightful. And even though when I saw him live once, I was a bit disappointed, I still, everything I've seen of him ever since before and after, I've always enjoyed. And he's traveled the world and he has such an, an amazing insight. And the number one person is my grandfather who died six months after I was born. So I don't never knew that he fell in love with my grandmother and they had just had a huge romance. We know this because she did tell me a bit about it, but also because we have a huge boxes of the letters that they, they wrote to each other during the war. And the way he just poured out his love and those letters to her and to at the time his only child, which was my father, um, is incredible. And I would love to be able to have him to dinner and talk to him, find out a little bit more about what he went through and then ask him permission to write his biography. That would be amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Wow. So those are That's... my three and a half. If I count Nelson Mandela, I'm not sure about I think I'd just sit there in complete awe of him and not say anything. So, <laughs> but he'd get on with my grandfather, you see. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how where we take inspiration from? You know, it's really, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, I met, uh, it was one, one of my clients one day actually was saying she had met Oprah and she said she's never felt someone so present when they met her. She said she was so present. And I'm like, yeah, so... That's when she was doing the guest. Um, you could go and meet her and pay ex extra money, and they said, "Yep, was worth every cent." And I'm like, "Wow, that's interesting." Wow. Yeah. Yeah. For her, it's a presence. skill. It's a really, cool. it's a really huge skill she has, and I think a lot of people underestimate it. She'd be a, you know, she'd be a dame by now if she was British. 
So yes, of course she would be. <laughs> but no, she's she's incredible. That sounds like a really cool dinner table. I'd love to be part of that. And where was your grandfather during the war? Uh, he got shot down over France and then transported to Poland, where he was in a place called Stalag Luft Three, which is known because it was sort of the setting for Hogan's Heroes, the awful American comedy, and um, Steve McQueen's The Great Escape. So oh, then he, wow. he was part of the tun- – he helped with some of the tunnelling situation where they dug the tunnels, and then he, along with all the other hundreds of thousands, was marched across Europe in the dead of winter, but he survived that march. So, yeah. Wow. And he wouldn't talk about it when he came back. He told his parents and my grandmother said, I'll tell you once what I went through since I got shot down and then I don't want to speak of it again. I just want to get on with my life. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, that would be a great story if he ever gives you permission. We'd love to read it. (laughs) Um, So, Diana, um, this is called Remarkable Woman Radio and as women who own who they're worth, because if we don't, no one else does, right? Um, So what is remarkable about who you are and what you do? Probably like a lot of your guests, I feel uncomfortable with this question. Um, I think I answered it before that I don't really feel like what I did was remarkable until I say this is where I was at and I've come this far. I started public speaking as a way of kind of just empowering myself, getting out of the house, getting out of a funk. It turned into me getting a job, um, feeling like I was a, suddenly a part of a country that I, up until that time I'd spent two years just being a visitor. Um, and then I brought it home and, I, and I've set up my business and helped other people, not just women, find their voice, deliver great presentations, um, help inspire other people. So I feel like I've started a bit of a ripple effect. Um, but I, I haven't really thought of that being remarkable because, you know, it's just what I've done to date. And you know what? And that's amazing because I think what we all do is remarkable, but we gloss over it. And you've just described a beautiful journey that could actually be applied for everybody. And I love that you've just laid it out in lots of these steps. And again, I come back to your metaphor of using the staircase with lots of landings. You just don't know where it can go. You've just got to start. But a lot of us can just, we almost overwhelm ourselves by going there rather than just going you know what let's just start you find your voice and then see what happens I thank you for laying it out like that because that is so practical and that definitely is remarkable because it's your journey and you know and that's what's so cool about it if I could ask you if you'd like to share just one bit of extra advice that you would love to give someone before we finish One bit of advice. I know, like there's so say, many. <laughs> like, we, like we say in the, the professional speaking world, anybody can speak for 20 minutes. It's when you're only given five that the real <laughs> professionals come through. Um, or you have to cut your keynote from 40 minutes to, to 25 because someone else has gone over. Uh, that is the theme of my book. Uh, you, public speaking is not your number one fear. Stop subscribing to that 
Find somewhere where you can start to find your voice. It's a lifelong skill that you will be that'll be called upon again and again and again. Uh, stop, stop putting barriers in your way. Find something close to you, something that w- resonates with you, because the 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 process will have its ups and downs, but the 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 results along the way will not just be uh, fulfilling for you, but they could also help your family uh, and and your business. Definitely, if you're in business. So um, stop holding yourself back. That's great advice. Absolutely. Yes, putting barriers in our way when we don't need to. Diana, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been my pleasure having you. Thank you for the for your time and this opportunity. Oh, no, it's been great. Thank you. I've learned so much. So um, we'll see you next week with another episode of Remarkable Woman Radio. In the meantime, thank you so much for um, to Diana Thompson. Oh, before I go, what is your website, Diana? Just simply www.speechmarks.co.nz. You can buy the book off the website or through the usual online retailers. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Remarkable Woman Radio. For more episodes and more details of today's show, please go to remarkablemindset.com. Let me ask you, what makes you remarkable? Remarkable.